as more people come in, they can join us.
so great to see all of you here as we come together as God's people. Let's continue in worship together as we sing his praises. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever.
Thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Thank you that you are good and faithful and your love never ends. And we've come today to worship you and to celebrate who you are. So be glorified in our worship and speak into our lives at our worship. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting to others here in worship this morning. Well, it's great to see you, and uh, for those of you to whom this is applicable, happy Mother's Day. For the rest of you, be nice to your mother if you can. It's a good day. One day a year, so we do that, right? Now, we hope you have a chance to uh, spend a little time with family on this uh, holiday today. We are excited to uh, welcome um, a new part of the church, new life into the church. Alacia Gray Gurley is, uh, was born last Sunday morning and is here today actually in worship and we're excited for her, Dan and Sarah and their family and we celebrate with them and the, the birth of new life and the gift of new life to them and to us as a church family. I want to thank everyone who helped out with the work day yesterday. It's, the grounds look beautiful and uh, we appreciate all the time and energy and effort that went into that. Thank you. Um, on the 22nd of May, we are doing a couple of things in the morning. We are having our annual election of leaders and also approving the budget. And so there is information in the back for your uh, a booklet with pictures and little descriptions of people who are on the ballot and the ballots are posted around. And also a copy of the budget. Please feel free to pick up that information, take it with you, be in prayer about that. And then the evening of the 22nd, we'll have our annual vision meeting. It's a chance for us to uh, look back at what God's done for us this past year, but also to look forward and think about what God has in store for us. And we spend some time uh, fellowshipping together, but also some time um, just thinking, talking through that, and uh, processing what we feel God is leading us to do. So we hope you'll be uh, participate in those events. I also notice that next Sunday we go back, we go to a new worship schedule on Sunday morning, so please take note of that. We do not have 940 service now for the next few months, and uh, so we have services at 8.30 and 11. Uh, beginning next Sunday, and on the back of your bulletin is the schedule for the next few months about our worship times. Good morning. Scripture this morning comes from Genesis chapter, chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. And go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of earth will be blessed through you. This is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. This is the word of the Lord. I don't think it takes much convincing to, uh, to get you to believe that we live in a broken world. All you have to do is pick up a newspaper, go onto a news website, look around, and we see brokenness all over the place. Brokenness that uh, comes out economically, relationally, morally, ethically, Spiritually, physically, this world is full of brokenness. And sometimes it becomes so overwhelming, I'm not exactly sure what to do about it. There are times where I think, maybe we all just come to church, we'll lock the doors, and we'll all just stay here and hunker down, let the brokenness of the world be out there, and we'll just wait here until Jesus comes back. But obviously, that's not going to work. Because the reality is, we all carry around a certain amount of brokenness. And wherever there are people, there's brokenness. And sometimes the brokenness is greater, smaller, but there is still brokenness. Pain, suffering, difficulty, struggles. And the question that confronts us as followers of Jesus is, what do we do about it? I mean, is the right thing to just say, let's all come to the church, let's close the doors, and we'll just wait for Jesus to get us off of this corrupt planet? Or is it to say, despite our fears and our anxieties and our worries, we're going to wade into the brokenness? We're going to walk into the messiness and the struggles of life and we're going to try to make it better. I'm convinced that that is the calling of God on his people. I am convinced that we are to be, the followers of God are to be hope in the midst of despair, light in the midst of darkness. One of the, one of the, primary truths of the creation story, besides the fact that it is God who creates, is that we are created in the image of God. I am more and more coming to see how important that is. At least four times in the Genesis stories, we are told that we are created in the image of God. And to be created in the image of God means to bear the essence of God. And that means that people in the image of God think like God thinks and talk like God talks and, and does what God does. And, and we, we reveal the image of God. And that's our calling. And what we are to do with that image of God in this broken, fallen, troubled, difficult world 
is to be people who bring hope in the midst of despair and light in the darkness. And the word that keeps coming to my mind that sort of encompasses all of that we are to do is to be people who bring shalom to this world. And shalom has many meanings, many faceted meanings. Uh, peace, we often translate it, but it's more than that. It's, it's well-being. It's security. As someone said to me after the service, it, they've always had this sense of it being a sense of welcoming. Open arms. That kind of embrace that makes you feel wanted and secure. We are called to be this kind of image bearers of God. This is what God says to Abraham. God, we go back to creation and God creates human beings to bear his image and sin enters and it corrupts our ability to do that. And so from that moment on, God is, is trying to help us better bear his image, to be more like him. But it's never just about us. As God says to Abraham, look, I'm gonna, you, you follow me, you do what I tell you, what I ask you to do, and, and you will be blessed. But it's not just so that Abraham can walk away going, wow, look how blessed I am. But it's so that he can be a blessing to others. And in fact, Genesis 12 tells us that God says to him, you will be a blessing not just to your family, not just to those who are like you, but to every nation of the world. Every nation. And you will be a beacon of light in darkness. And you will be hope. You will be shalom. You will be blessing. You will be... the. the, You will create an atmosphere of flourishing in the midst of so much despair and brokenness. And this is the message that God gives from Abraham, and then he gives it to Israel. And if you read the Old Testament, you see that they fail miserably at it until ultimately Jesus comes. And John says that Jesus is God in flesh. He is the perfect image of God, because he is God. And Jesus says in his very first sermon to the people of Nazareth in the synagogue, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to give recovery of sight to the blind, to set the captives free, to bring the year of the Lord's favor. And when you get to the end of Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples, now it's on you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now I'm giving it to you to go and make disciples and to do for them what I've done for you, to, to emit the presence of God, the, the nature of God, the image of God in your life, to be a reason for hope. One of our struggles is, quite frankly, we're not very good at that. Sometimes the church has a reputation for not bringing hope, but bringing despair. Not bringing grace, but judgment. Sometimes the church is the last place people think when they're looking for hope. And it's such a sad thing. 
Because if anybody has hope in this world, it is the followers of Jesus. Paul writes in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 that we have hope and if, because Christ is raised from the dead and we will be raised from the dead. And God is going to create the new heaven and new earth in which we will exist in the new resurrection life. And it will be beyond our imagination, beyond our dreams. We have hope. And our calling is to be people who bear that kind of hope, who create an atmosphere of hope and flourishing and shalom, who make the world a better place. We become a part of the answer to our prayers that we pray so often. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And being people who create an atmosphere of hope and flourishing and shalom and life are doing just that. That's our calling. But the question is, how do we do that? How do, we, how do we create an atmosphere of shalom, of peace, of life, of flourishing? What do we do? What does that look like? As I was thinking about that, I, I just finished reading a book by Bill Greenway. Bill grew up here in Houghton, uh, grew up in this church, and uh, went to Houghton College, and now teaches at uh, Austin Presbyterian Seminary in in Texas. And he's just, just written a book uh, maybe a few months ago for the love of all creatures. And it's about how, really it's about just how God loves his creation and his call for us to do the same. And in this book, he talks about the passages in Genesis 2.18 and 1.15 that talk about how human beings are to rule the earth and reign over the earth and subdue the earth and, and all and the ways in which we interpret that. And typically they come down to one of two things. On the one hand, you have people who interpret the, that command as domination. The earth is primarily here for us to use. And whatever we, way in which we need to use the earth, that's okay because it's ours to use. And it's basically a we will dominate the earth. It's a very self-absorbed kind of perspective, to be honest with you. But the other side of it is the term that he uses, dominion. And in the perspective of dominion, we see that primarily we are here to nurture the earth and to nourish the earth and to care for the earth. And yes, the earth feeds us and, and is a blessing to us, but only because we nurture it and we nourish it and we care for it. And instead of a self-absorbed perspective, we have a self-giving, self-sacrificing perspective. And as I read that, I thought to myself, he's really describing what Paul says of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. That Jesus, though being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Even though Christ had all the power in existence, how does he come? He comes as a baby. He preaches in humility. And ultimately, his his design of dominion, of self-giving, ultimately leads him to a cross. No wonder we don't like that perspective. Yet, as as N.T. Wright says, any Christ-centered calling is always going to be a cross 
centered, cross shaped calling. And that's what's so hard about it. It's the riskiest way to live. You really have here, you have two perspectives one is power brokers, and the other is risk takers. And when you read the scriptures, God, who has all the power, is continually taking risks with that power. Creation. Calling out Israel to be his people and to represent him. Jesus coming, the church, asking the church to represent him. I mean, you talk about risk taking. And yet this is how God so often reveals himself. And it is the calling on our lives to to reveal Christ in the same way, in humility and self-giving and self-sacrifice and love and compassion and truth, yes. But, But we communicate truth in a way that is not so much about what we want to say and and pounding people over the head with it, but in a spirit of humility and love and thinking more about others than about ourselves. When I was taking my preaching courses, Haddon Robinson used to, you know, he'd say a lot of things to us, but one thing he used to say that just stuck in my mind, and I think about it all the time, he says, when you're thinking about preparing your sermon, you need to ask yourself the question. You need to think about this statement. Are you... Are you preaching what you want to say or what people need to hear? And it's not the same thing sometimes. Sometimes there are things I want to say, but I shouldn't. And there are ways in which I want to say things sometimes that I shouldn't. Why shouldn't I? Because they're not healthy. Because more than likely, listeners are going to put up walls instead of building bridges. And if I really want to, to communicate, and if you really want to communicate with someone, and you really your, your goal is to help them see the truth rather than just get something off your chest, then you're always thinking, what's the best way to communicate that so that they will most readily hear and see it? And that's our approach to the world. That's what I love about Lilius Trotter. You know, the center here named after her, she... She, uh, if you haven't read her biography, I would really encourage you to do so. It's inspiring. But she was a single woman from England who had a burden about the Muslims in North Africa. And she and a friend went to North Africa and they spent their lives from their 20s until she died in her 80s in North Africa. And she gave her life to the people there. And one of the things she kept talking about in the book over and over again was that she was always thinking, how are people going to most readily hear the gospel? And when the gospel is shared, how will they see it? How will they think about it? Because I want to share it in a way that they can most readily understand it and accept it. And that meant spending time with people and thinking more about how people think and how they process things than how she did. And God blessed that. Viv Gregg was a 28-year-old single guy from uh, New Zealand who got a burden about the people of the Philippines. And, and so he went to, to Manila and he decided he was going to live in the slums of Manila. He got in a second-floor apartment in this uh, run-down building and a woman who owned it lived below him. And he described her as hard-drinking, hard-living woman. And here was this this uh, white Australian or uh, New Zealander 
in the midst of all of these poverty-stricken Filipinos. And he just lived among them. And every morning he went out with them and lined up with the rest of them at the, to get his, fill his bucket with water at the faucet because at 6 o'clock the city turned off the water there so that they could give water to the wealthier areas of town. And they would ask him, so why are you here? And he said, well, I'm a follower of Jesus who said that he came to preach good news to the poor. And that's all he said. And he just kept living among them and meeting with them and building relationships with them and loving them until one day he's standing there in line and they said to him, so when are you going to preach good news to us? And he said, how about right now? And a church was established. And people's lives were changed. Did it take more time? Yeah. Did he have to be patient? Yes. Did it feel some days like nothing was happening? Yeah. But that didn't matter. Because it was the way of Christ. And the way of humility. And thinking more about others than about ourselves. And if we want to impact the world, if we want to impact our culture, our society... We are far better off and far more productive to do a lot more listening than talking. A lot more asking questions than answering. And it's hard. Because quite frankly, we have a lot of answers and we love to share our answers. That's the way I am. But if we're really going to impact people, we listen. We spend time with them. We care for them. Those are hard, it's hard to measure results when you do that, though. In our, in our culture, even the church culture, is all about results. You know, I, I fill out forms every month about how many of this and how many of that and how many of that and how many of that. And they're important, and you need numbers. And numbers tell stories. But ultimately, it's bigger than that. And as I was thinking about how hard sometimes it is to measure results, I was thinking about what the writer of Hebrews says. You know, in chapter 11, he gives this long litany of people of great faith. And then he gets to the end of that in verse 13, and he says, And yet, these people still died believing, and they didn't receive what was promised. None of them saw it. Not a one of them. But they were still faithful. Because the the point of their faithfulness was not, I get to see results. The point of their faithfulness was, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to bear the image of Christ in this world. And I leave the results up to God. Then I'm thinking about 1 Corinthians 15. And how Paul writes about the resurrection. This awesome chapter about why we believe in the resurrection. And the power of the resurrection. And it's here that he says, you know, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Because Jesus Christ has given us the victory through his resurrection. And he gets to the last verse of that and he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, keep doing your work. Keep bearing the image of Christ. Why? Because whatever you do for Christ, whatever you do in the spirit of Christ, whenever you bear the image of Christ in this world... It's never useless. It's never useless. And in this broken world, sometimes it feels like what we're doing doesn't make a bit of difference. You know, do you feel that way? I feel that way. How in the world am I going to change the circumstances of 
some people in Allegheny County, much less people who live in Iraq or Syria, Somalia. And it feels hopeless sometimes. But our calling is not results. Our calling is faithfulness. To ask God to give us grace to bear the image of Christ. To think like he thinks. To talk like he talks. To listen like he listens. To do what he does. And that brings us to this table. Is that this table... We come to this table in a spirit of gratitude because we are here only because of the grace of God. We're here only because God has been merciful and gracious to us and he has worked in our lives and he and people have been in our lives what he's calling us to be to others. Every one of us have had people in our lives who have, who have bared the image of Christ and that's changed us and it's drawn us to God and it's helped us to open our hearts to him or in being in the process of opening our hearts to him. And so we come in gratitude, but we also come in thanksgiving because we get to be a part of bringing hope to the world. Sometimes when you think about the burden of, of life and the burden of the world and all the injustice and the suffering and the pain and the struggle, and, and then you hear God's call about doing something about it, I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like this overwhelming burden. And I'd like to just forget about it. I don't want to walk into the mess anymore. It's, it's too murky. It's too difficult. Problems are too big. Let's just, just forget about it. I don't want to do this. The burden is too heavy. And while it is a burden, what we really need to see is as a privilege and a joy that we actually get to be a part of bringing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We actually get to be a part of bringing the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. That we actually get to be a part of changing the world, of creating an atmosphere in which people see hope in the midst of despair. However small we think our part is, we have a part. And we celebrate that and embrace that. As I was thinking about all this, I was thinking to, about John chapter 20. It's the passage where John talks about the resurrection. And, and in, in John's account of the resurrection, the women come to the tomb, and as they, as they are mentioned in all the others. But in John, he tells us that Mary Magdalene, who's been transformed by Jesus, she, she stays around the tomb while the other women go back to tell the disciples. And while she's around the tomb, she sees Jesus, but she thinks he's the gardener. And she gets confused. And we know, as John tells us, that, you know, she's wrong. But as one person has said, maybe she's not as wrong as we think she is. Maybe she's giving us an insight into who Jesus is as the one who comes into the messiness of this world and gardens, plants, brings life, 
the things that are dead and broken. And that led me to imagine a picture, a scene, maybe from the Civil War, maybe from World War I, where soldiers engaged primarily in hand-to-hand combat. And you had these battlefields stretched out in, in the world wars between foxholes. And the images that you, that you read about in the war in that time were these huge fields of mud and blood and bodies death. And I look out across this huge field of destruction and brokenness and pain and suffering. And there in the middle of that field, a little daisy has popped its head up out of the ground. And there's something about seeing that little daisy that changes our perspective about that field. Is it still still a place of death and suffering and pain and brokenness? Of course. But there's a little bit of hope in the middle of it. We aren't going to get rid of all the brokenness in this world until Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom in the new heaven and new earth. But in the meantime, we get the privilege, the joy, the blessing of doing for this world what Abraham was called to do and what Jesus comes and does and what Jesus leaves his disciples to do. And that is through the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, we get to be beacons of light. We get to be people who create even just a little bit of an atmosphere of hope. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege, for what you've done for us and for what you are calling us to be as we think about this world. Father, as we gather at this table this morning, we pray that your blessing, your anointing would be upon the bread and the cup that as we eat and drink, we will sense your spirit at work in us feeding us, nourishing us, filling us so that we can be people who bear witness, people who bear the image of Christ in a world of brokenness, pain, struggle. We ask all of this in the name of Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning, you're going to be, we're going to release you by rows to come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. We also have trays of bread and cups. If you prefer or if it's difficult for you to come to the front, 
We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. And if you would like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion through Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with the desire to, to bear the image of Christ, of light and hope and shalom in this world of brokenness and pain, then come and receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thy all in all. Jesus made it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed in white as snow. Please stand with us.
appropriate song for us to sing because from the very beginning of creation, God has been concerned about people in need. And the Israelites are being established as a nation and he's given them laws over and over again. He says to them, you take care of the poor, you take care of the aliens and the strangers among you, you take care of widows and orphans, you take care of the people who are most vulnerable in your society. And he has pretty strict words about people who don't do that. And even later on, 
when uh, the people are in crisis and the Babylonians are, are attacking the city and they're carrying off people and life in Israel as they've known it is falling apart. Jeremiah gives the same warning. And he says, in the midst of your trouble, don't forget to take care of the people who are most vulnerable. I think when we look at the world today, there are a group of people that I would say are probably, uh, it is one of the great crises of our world. I was reading a couple of months ago an article about refugees who are coming from Syria They'd gone to Turkey, and now they were leaving Turkey, and were heading down across the Mediterranean, and they were sailing to Greece. And they're coming to Greece because the Greek church there was saying, we'll take you, we'll help you, we'll get you settled, we'll support you. And they would come to Greece, they would clothe them and house them and feed them and get them things that they needed, and then they would send them on to other countries of the European Union who, where they would settle permanently. After that went on for a while, the borders, the other countries of the European Union began to close their borders. And so now the people, these refugees who have left their homes because of famine and earthquakes and persecution and economic issues and all kinds of issues, many of them religious persecution and many of them are Christians, have left these places and have no place to go. And now they the Greek government is beginning to shut down because, quite frankly, the economy of Greece is bad. But the Greek church said, we'll take you. And I read this article and I thought, wow, we do not have that spirit, by and large. I don't have that spirit. And it began me on a, little, on a journey of thinking about refugees and what we can do for the refugees of this world. And our, we inquired about maybe hosting a refugee family here in Houghton. But because of the laws of our government now, the refugees have to be settled within a certain radius of the centers. There's a center in Buffalo, and we fall X number of miles outside of that radius. And so they wouldn't let them come here. So that meant that probably our response was going to be monetary. And as important as that is, and as valuable as that is, it, we want it to just be monetary. And so I begin to shape in my mind, that's where the idea for these jars came. You've been wondering maybe for, we've been collecting jars for the last month and a half, and you're thinking, what in the world are we doing with those jars? Here's what we're doing with the jars. In a minute, we're going to ask every family unit to come up, and whatever your family unit is, if you're a couple with children, if you're a couple, if you're a single person, if single with children, it doesn't make any difference, you're a college student, you're academy student, Whatever your family unit is, whatever you would call that, we want you to come up and we're going to give you some things here. And one of the things we're going to do is give you a jar. And what we're asking you to do is once a week, put a dollar in the jar. Just one dollar. Not really looking for more than that. I mean, if you want to give more, we'll take it. But, but if you, we're really just looking for one dollar. And the reason we're just looking for one dollar is because we want this to be something that we do together, and it's the accumulation of our dollars that makes the difference. But beyond that, I don't want it to just be money. And so we created these booklets. We're calling this the Matthew 820 Initiative, as someone mentioned to me. And this is the passage that says Jesus had no place to lay his head. And in this booklet, there is some information, and there's a reading, a page for every week. And what we want you to do is when you put your money in the jar... Whatever your family unit is, bring them together. There's scripture to read. 
There's a little bit of a little bit of some information, a little bit of a challenge for us, and then there's a prayer to pray. Probably would take you five, seven minutes, something like that, to do this, maybe even less. But my desire is when we get to the and then when we get to we've got seventeen weeks in the booklet, so that puts us to the first part of, of September. We did that intentionally because we want to be able to, to, if there are college or academy students that want to be involved, and take your jars home with you and just bring them back next, next fall. And we're going to, on that day, we're going to bring, everybody's going to bring their jars to church. We're going to dump them all into big baskets to see what we've done, and then we'll send the money on, and then we'll take our jars home with a new booklet and start all over again. And my dream is that we will do this enough and often enough that after a while, our hearts begin to think like God's heart toward refugees. And our mindset is different. And our perspective is different. And our hearts are different. And we begin to see people who are vulnerable and needy the way God does. And so this is our plan. Now the second, so you're going to get a jar and a booklet, but you're also going to get a faith promise booklet because we also believe that not only are the, are the is ministry to refugees important, but also what people do who are called into serving in other countries of the world are doing. And so you'll get a booklet with the missionaries that we're supporting through our faith promise giving. It's a little over $30,000. And I want you to pray over the next few weeks. We're going to collect those on the 22nd. Pray over the next few weeks about how God is leading you to, to step out in faith, to, to give where you don't really maybe think you have the money to give, but to trust God over the course of the next year to bring in those funds. So be thinking and praying about that. And then once you put in your faith promise, whatever it is, put that folder on your refrigerator or by your nightstand or wherever you might see it so you pray for those people. Another means of God opening our eyes and our vision to his world. So we've got people who are going to come. And by the way, if you're watching on streaming, we are glad to get jars and booklets to you. Just communicate to us, send us an email, let us know, call the office, and we'll do our best to get those to you. And um, so we have some folks lined up who are going to come and help distribute these. And then as soon as they're ready, we're going to ask you to come down the middle aisle, just like we did with communion, and just walk the row here, take each of the two booklets and the jar. And you can come all as your family unit. You can send a representative, whatever you want to do. And if you, however you consider a family unit, if it's just you, that's great. If it's you and some others, you want to do it as, a, as roommates or you, whatever you want to do, just come and we'd love to have you participate and um, get, get a jar and the booklets and let's see what God does with that. And we'll stand and sing as we do. Your love is devoted. 
This morning we do come recognizing this broken world in which we live and, and the struggles of our own lives. We pray that you will comfort all who are grieving. We pray that you will bring healing to all who are struggling with illness and pain. We pray that you will, you will heal our fractured relationships. We pray that you'll give us wisdom and confidence and peace about the future. There are among us here today graduates who are stepping into a new place in life and we pray that you will give them everything that they need for the days ahead. Father, we thank you for the ministry of this church and specifically for those who serve on our children's ministry committee as they plan and think about how we serve our children. Give them grace and wisdom and we pray for churches beyond us and Think of the Belmont United Methodist Church and Pastor Hurd. May they be bonded to one another, that they will be a beacon of light to their community and beyond. And Father, we pray for the world, and we think of these Global Partners missionaries who are part of our faith promise, that you would bless their lives and encourage them. And Lord, help us as we step out in faith about what we might give to support them and to support your work all around various places of the world. And Father, we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters who face persecution. We think of our our brother in Uzbekistan. We ask that you will give him courage and strength and peace in the midst of very difficult circumstances. In In his imprisonment, may he be a witness who bears the image of Christ even to his captors. Father, we pray that you will take what we do with these jars and these booklets and over the course of the next few months, just keep teaching us and changing us and working in us and help us to see the hope that we have in you as image bearers of your nature. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them through the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ coming king. Amen. I should have mentioned to you as we were doing the jars that I know that some of you are, are thinking, I'm going to be leaving, I won't be coming back. If you want to take a jar and a booklet, we welcome you to do that. And if you want to send the money back to us, feel free to, or send it to an organization that you know helps refugees. You can, even if you're not going to be around in the fall, we encourage you, if you want Come on up after the service and grab a jar and a booklet and take those home and uh, maybe it'll be a blessing to you as you join in what we're doing together. Receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.